Are you trying to argue that Supernova is not a reflection of the late 90s? Radio Drome. On a Thursday night, I believe Josh Hadley is a product of internet culture run amok. I'm not sure. Peter, what are you an era of? I I was an era of uh, putting out a lot of videos in 2014, and so far this year, not, not so much. Slacker. Cecil, he's a throwback to the time when people didn't like good movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, something like that. What you guys should do... If you do like good things, and you were you in, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you would get 10 free gifts on top of whatever you order. You'd get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, and free Canada's Mexico shipping, which would be the United States. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. I want to talk about how movies, horror movies specifically, but sci-fi and other genres as well, are a product of their time. And I don't mean that in the way of like, oh, you see virtual reality in a movie, you go, oh, that is so 1991, or you see lots of neon, you go, oh, that is so the 80s. That's not what I'm talking about with product of the time. I mean, of the times of what's happening in the world, movies tend to be an answer to what is going on in the world. And that's been true of film ever since it began. Do you see that that the movies, for instance, of 20 14, 2015 are very much an, an answer to what is going on in 2014 and 2015, the same way that the films of 1980, 1968, and so forth are a product of the time of whatever's going on at that time? Yeah, kind of. You can see uh, a lot of the whole uh, cell phone and, and general technology culture, lots of people texting, uh, lots of people doing the the whole Skype thing uh, all over the place the the music the way the way people dress the way people act the way people's uh, ideals are and whatnot so yeah you can you can see that riddled through uh, not just one type of genre of film not just uh, horror or sci-fi or, or drama it's it's kind of every, every generation's kind of kind of got its thing do you see that there's a philosophical angle that goes along with film just as much today as it went to as it did in the past, of talking to the social norms or the social fears of this time period? Yeah, I mean, we're uh, we're getting newer movies that uh, do kind of speak a little bit more towards what's going on right now. Uh, something like uh, the movie Unfriended, where they tried to make a horror movie that revolved around Skype. Something mm-hmm. like that makes sense because you, you have more people that are communicating through that uh, versus, you know, than they would have 10 years ago. There's a lot more uh, technology that is going into these kind of movies, whereas uh, not so much years ago, because now we're so much more reliant on technology that it has to start making its way into movies. And it's giving a lot of 
it's giving a lot of people a hard time because the old, you know, they're trapped, uh, you know, the car breaks down, they're trapped in the middle of nowhere. Uh, just break out your cell phone and give somebody a call. They're trying to find ways around that. Oh, they got an accident and the phone broke or, uh, you know, they, they're really trying to uh, get beyond just the, oh, we can't get a cell signal. Because now it's like if you can't get a cell signal, especially in some of the locations where <laughs> they are, it's uh, it looks really dumb. There is that, but I'm talking about something like, say something like Unfriended. I'm probably overanalyzing what is a really stupid movie, but all of this takes place over Skype. All these people are separated. How technology has pulled them apart to the point where all of this is able to happen where it couldn't if all these people were in the same room together. Do you think that that's an answer to the social norm of technology running amok? Or do you think there's there's more to it? For instance, like, Arguably, Night of the Living Dead is one of the most social movies ever. you got to put yourself into the mindset of 1968. Martin Luther King was ju had just been shot when the movie came out. So what, even when it was made, that hadn't happened yet. The hippies taking over, you had all this social change, and literally, and Romero admits this, the movie is about a new society swallowing the previous society, although in this case it's literal. Do you see what I'm talking about, how a movie like Night of the Living Dead is an absolute reflection of 1968? It definitely shows. I mean, Romero is one of the people who is always trying to push that with his movies, where whatever's going on culturally at the time. I mean, Night of the Living Dead was uh, also uh, a, dealt a good bit with racism. And then uh, Dawn of the Dead dealt with uh, commercialism. And, uh, you, you know, Day, Day of the Dead was uh, militarization. And uh, what was what was the other theme with Day Loss of the of Dead? Hope. The Loss of Hope. You had um, Land of the Dead, which was all about, again, a resurgence of a resurgence of commercialization, but also the haves versus the have nots and, and, and terrorism and terrorism. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I'll kind of stop there because it uh, it gets a little. Well, no, crappy. no, <laughs> to, no, no, because to stick with Romero, even Diary of the Dead, it didn't quite work, but he was trying to talk about how what you see becomes the truth yeah. that these people these people are watching the news and they see the edited footage of the initial zombie attack and people buy that because it's on TV and then when they see the unedited and then even with the movie they're shooting within the movie mm -hmm. they have to edit it and she even talks on the narration about how she added music and all that to to make it more effective that mm -hmm. diary is all about just because you see it, you tend to believe it, but that doesn't make it true. I don't think the yeah. movie succeeded in that, but that's what he was trying to do with Diary. Yeah, it was a good, uh, it was a good effort, um, and I could see where where he was going uh, with it for sure. And I, I agree with the uh, Night of the Living Dead definitely being a, a reflection of that culture. Uh, same with that Unfriended movie. I mean, it, it's it's a very big. Uh, Skype and, and internet culture, and that's something that's been uh, rising and getting bigger and bigger. A lot of people are, you know, making really close friendships with people all across the world. I mean, the fact that we're doing, uh, the fact that we're doing this podcast is a is a testament to that. So I think it's definitely a, a reflection on the culture. I don't know if the movie's good or not. I haven't seen it yet, but it's an example that each generation has uh, has movies that reflect on uh, what's what's actually going on. You, you have something like moving from Night of the Living Dead into the 70s. The 70s were arguably a more ter 
turbulent time than the 60s even when when you take the the actual politics out of it movies becoming cynical and mean in the 70s that you didn't prior to that because in the 1970s what was really happening was very cynical and mean and so the movies had to reflect that america was becoming a more violent place Murder statistics and violent statistics were rising, which they would peak in the 1980s. The 1980s in film is arguably the most violent era of film. These things cannot be pulled apart. What is happening in society has to reflect what is happening in the movies. For instance, after 9-11, it was probably five or six years before we saw an American studio-made film that would even suggest the military was corrupt or wrong about something because American patriotism was at an all-time high. Mm -hmm. No one like 20th Century Fox or Paramount was going to dare put out a movie about like a corrupt sergeant or something. You were not going to be able to put out a movie like Full Metal Jacket or Platoon after 9-11. Well, 70s, definitely. I mean, that was the... The rise of the vigilante film, I think, is proof enough of that. Like you, you had characters popping up uh, like Paul Kersey or uh, Travis Bickle. So you could definitely see just through those types of films, through violent vigilante films, uh, you know, action against crime and uh, the cops are unable to stop it because it's so rampant. And then throughout the 80s, you had a, a big bravado of uh, what, what being an all-American is all about. And you, you had characters like, you know, Rambo and then Schwarzenegger taking the stage and uh, the big guns and the big muscles and there's lots of violence. And it was very a, a time where it was a, a very proud to be an American kind of time. This time then, we get to win. Yeah, like Rambo 2 is a fucking testament to that. And then, of course, yeah, the whole the 9-11 thing, they, it was kind of the, um, it was a bit of the opposite. They just they weren't allowed to show anything negative. It was almost, uh, it was a, a more, even more over-the-top version version of it. Um, but but it, they were I, scared. I, I think for, in the post-9-11 couple of years, a lot of those movies bordered on propaganda. They were yeah. almost American military propaganda without meaning to be. They made uh, it, it makes like um, Rambo two look like a serious film. So yeah, it's it, it can show how um, how what's going on really can determine uh, the kind of entertainment that that we're seeing and that whole uh, that whole post nine eleven time that was a very a uh, very walking on eggshells uh, period for for movies and just. Uh, just living in in general. I mean that that spilled over into Canada. There was a lot of uh, racism toward um, toward Middle Eastern and like Muslim people and and stuff like that. You had you had people uh, looking at people in turbans and and just being like oh, he's probably a fucking terrorist. Like it was a very just just a bad bad um, negative time that uh, was trying to be very proud and American chest beady, but um, didn't have the 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 vibrant nature that the that the 80s had where you could kind of believe it do you see that like go, going back to the 70s peter brought up the vigilante films not even vigilante but let's go back to 1971 with dirty harry hit such a chord with 1971 audiences because this was the beginning of the era where crime is on the rise police are figuratively being handcuffed by you know having to actually give miranda warnings and actually have reasons to do things to criminals then you had movies like death wish at the peak of urban violence you had paul kersey 
he was speaking to all the people who felt like they didn't have an outlet, that society had let them down, that the law had let them down. Do you think that those 70s crime films really speak more to the 70s than almost any other subgenre? Yeah, because... They were, a lot of them were the the everyman. I mean, Paul Kersey, he he was just, he wasn't really this giant ass-kicking dude. He was just a a small Jew, you know, (laughs) like... (laughs) Who, uh, I, you know, love love him, but uh, you know, when you think a uh, badass vigilante, he kind of came across as more of just like the you know an everyman. He wasn't uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or something going out there and just beating the crap well, out of yeah. everybody. He throws up the first time he shoots somebody in that movie. Yeah, it's it's much more. It adds a, a layer of realism to it that he's not mm. this unstoppable wrecking machine. He's just a regular guy who's out to get revenge for all this shit that's happened to him. Do you do you think that sort of wish fulfillment of like you know oh I got mugged I wish I could be like Paul Kersey or something like that? Do, do you think that that is sort of wish fulfillment on the on the audience's part? Well, I mean, movies in general are always uh, having an element of wish fulfillment. You know, you you watch a movie because you're like, wow, that guy has superpowers. I wish I had superpowers. Or, wow, that guy is is banging Natasha Henstridge. I wish I was banging Natasha Henstridge. You know, or <laughs> this guy, you know, uh, you got mugged, and it's like, man, I, you know, you you want to see him take out the criminals. So, uh, in, in yeah, I mean, movies are always going to be uh, an element of escapism and uh, you know, wish fulfillment. But then sometimes that wish fulfillment goes too far. For instance, in like 1984, when Bernard Getz basically went all Paul Kersey on, they were definitely criminals, but he went way too far. That's why he was convicted. You, you have something like the Bernard Getz case. Does it get to a point where movies are reflecting society and then society starts reflecting the movies. Yeah, I, I think that can that can happen. I didn't even know about uh, about that case, but um, I, I definitely believe it happening, and I can see it happening because I think people, by nature, when they see something that they think is cool or that they relate to or whatever, they mimic it to a degree. I mean, uh, just just um, how huge gym culture was when when pumping iron came out when arnold and and stallone and got bigger and the the rocky movies and uh terminator conan you know rambo all this stuff you know gym culture was booming in the 80s everybody wanted to be uh or most guys at least wanted to be you know beefed up like like arnie or sly so i can definitely see that um people will uh, life will imitate art so to speak the, the Bernard Getz case, for those who might not be familiar, Bernard Getz was a little unassuming man with glasses who was sick of being mugged on the New York subway all the time. So when three teenagers came up to him and threatened him with a screwdriver, he shot them. And what, <laughs> what, what made it go too far was he chased one of them down through another car and then shot him in the spine to make sure his message of, I'm not going to take this anymore, went through. And that's where it moved from self-defense to vigilantism. Mm-hmm. And that really happened. And that's wow. really, mm-hmm. that that's a Death Wish movie, isn't it? Was that guy um, parodied in Predator 2? That's t- Yeah, that totally is. Yeah, there's that little uh, wormy glasses guy who was like, I know how to use this thing on the yeah. uh, on the metro system or whatever. Holy yeah. shit, I never, I never caught that. I always thought well, that was just kind of... 
Oh, yeah, I am young. I'm a baby. But then, yeah, that was '84. Yeah, <laughs> I was nine. I wasn't. I, rem- I remember yet. seeing the Bernard Getz <laughs> stuff on the news. <laughs> Though at least, uh, at least bringing it up, I was able to call back to to Predator Two and recognize that that was a reference to it. So, eh, I get, I give myself points for that. Well, but no, the- no, you, you've no, Peter, you've got a good point with Predator Two. Look, look at now. This seems like a weird microcosm of action and sci-fi movies, but. Look at all of the uh, – there was like seven or eight action movies and sci-fi movies that all came out between 1989 and 1991 that had Rastafarian gangs as the villains. That might mm-hmm. seem weird to people who weren't alive then, but that was really happening. The country of Jamaica had cleared out all of their prisons and sent most of those prisoners to America. So in real life, Jamaican gangs were starting to make their violent, violent presence known – in larger cities. So yeah. to have them as the go-to villain for a couple of years was an absolute reflection of 1990. And if you weren't mm-hmm. there, it'll just seem weird that all these movies came out in succession. Why do they all have Rastafarian gangs as the villains? Because that was what was happening for real at the time. Yeah, especially yeah, in, like, uh, in L.A., lots of trouble with uh, Colombian gangs, uh, Rastafarian gangs, stuff like that. Like That really was... It's obviously a very over-the-top depiction in, in movies like Predator 2, but there was some really nasty uh, gang war or drug-related kind of stuff happening. So that, that totally was a reflection of the, of the um, later 80s and, and earlier 90s. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I, uh, I had a friend of mine that was Jamaican, and he was like, <laughs> he's like everybody's afraid of me all the time now. <laughs> it's all <laughs> Steven Seagal's fault. <laughs> If you really think about it, Marked for Death is 90 minutes of Seagal killing anything in a dreadlock. Yeah, yes. pretty much. I'm surprised he didn't fight the fucking Predator. Like, that is a reflection of what was going on at the time. Let's go back to the early slasher movies. The, the early slasher movies were, were speaking to a different part of American culture. There are two parts. I, I disagree with Siskel and Ebert completely. Siskel and Ebert said that the early, maybe, you know, 80 to 83, all the slasher movies were women-hating films. They outright said these movies are made for people who hate women and fear women, and these movies are all about making sure a woman feels unsafe in society so she'll get back to the kitchen and start being a woman. They're not completely off base in the fact that this was the beginning of the true wave of feminism. This is when women are becoming CEOs. Women are getting equal pay in the workplace. So to a degree, they do, they're do. they on to something that women are breaking away from men. But I think the whole slasher films are made for people who hate and fear women. They're projecting there, I think. Major projection. Because the thing is, it's one thing if they don't like a certain genre. Like you could always tell when they were watching a movie and they would get to the uh, to the review part. And it was something where they're like, oh, another Freddy Krueger thing. And it's just they're projecting their own dislike on it because the majority of the slasher films were they weren't anti-female. I mean, the whole final girl thing kind of comes out of that. Uh, you know, it's it's if anything, it's more like female empowerment. It's the girl mm-hmm. who ends up doing the thing that the guys can't do mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, takes out the killer. So it's just silly. 
And I, I like as much as I can respect Siskel and Ebert for what they did as far as bringing reviews more to like a mainstream audience. Uh, I always was annoyed at their just bias, like right across. the. I mean, you should they, they should have been, been like, look, we don't like these kind of movies, but we have to review them anyway. So they kind of, you know, go into it a little bit. And talk about, well, uh, you know, this this isn't really good for us, but it might be good for you or something. Uh, it just always yeah. seemed that they would they would say that something sucked. And it's like, well, no, it doesn't suck. It's just that it's something that you automatically don't like. Well, I've never really been a fan of, of Siskel and Ebert. And that's one of the reasons why, because they do. They absolutely just project. They don't like those kind of movies. And instead of just, as Cecil said, you know, we didn't really like it, but here's a. Uh, this, if you liked this, you might enjoy this. Like, that's, to me, what a review should be. But they were just projecting their anger on it and completely making shit up. Their anti-woman movie, yeah, my ass. Like, yeah, that's why there's, like, Final Girls. That's why the chick usually chops off the slasher's f***ing head at the end. It's just, it's preposterous, if, if you ask me. That's just ridiculous. They're very pro-women. The, 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 these movies are clearly made by people who love women and wanted to see... Uh, women in more lead roles like the slasher genre is arguably one of the biggest you know leading ladies that are playing more action-based roles that are playing usually the kind of stuff you'd see a, a dude as an action hero doing but instead you you see a chick doing it and, and movies like uh, you know all the Friday the 13th gave us that Halloween uh, even Alien which I do count as a, as a horror movie Sigourney Weaver totally became like a dominating a uh, female action uh, survivor, but yeah, I don't I don't agree with that um, at, at all. Uh, to me, the the slasher genre in general, at least the way I see it, is kind of a, a broadened depiction of the whole campfire story thing. Like it's uh you know the whole Cropsy thing, the the children that went missing, all the stories being told about him, you know, during at camp or or kids hanging out and stuff. It's kind of, to me, that's what sort of slash movies have always been sort of a projection of, just like these uh, stories that your friend would tell you or that you would hear at camp of this, you know, the guy with the hook for a hand or, or just like serial killers and dudes in masks killing people and stuff and uh, stories being passed on. That's what I see. I don't, I don't see it as any uh, degradation toward... Uh, any any sex or or gender or whatever it's they're just scary stories uh where a one of the you know the strong good characters end up defeating evil at the end it's very simple uh good versus evil stories i'm not trying to say slasher movie producers were stupid but you know a lot of them were much more simplistic in their they were just doing this because it was a formula yeah. but there, but uh, there was a weird formula that came out of slasher movies that kind of worked into the new puritanical nature of the 1980s. And by puritanical, I mean, remember, this is when Ronald Reagan, against all odds, really, took the White House. And the whole wave of new conservatism was sweeping across the nation. Pornography is being banned and whatnot. And the slasher movies put out the tenet, you do drugs, you drink, you, you have sex, you're going to die. The virgin... Mm -hmm is the one who survives. You've got films like Videodrome that are all about the dangers of unprotected sex and what can happen when disease goes unchecked and whatnot. In a weird way, some of these movies ended up unintentionally 
reflecting their era. A lot of the stuff, it, it, it's it's always going to be uh, a reflection of the era. Now, there's some movies that come out where they have nothing to do with it, and people start to look for things that don't exist, uh, like trying to find uh, elements of, of Jesus within the, the Terminator movies. There there are uh, elements of things where yeah, something like uh, It Follows, where uh, it's a it's a sexually transmitted disease. And mm-hmm. that that was kind of the um, structure that they used for it. So because uh, there still is, you know, the fear of STDs even in 2015. So it makes sense to have a movie like that come out now. And it's not reading anything into it. That's just, you know, that's just surface level stuff. It's like, OK, yeah. And then, I mean, of course, there's always going to be little deeper elements of things mixed in. But uh, such as with <laughs> I know you haven't seen it yet, but we uh with uh, Green Inferno, where it was a nice jab at all the uh, you know, social justice warriors. Yes. Where it's kind of taking the piss out of that. Like, that's something that uh, is going on right now that I think a lot of directors and whatnot, they don't really have the balls to kind of go after them because they don't feel like dealing with the backlash of it. So I think that's another reason why we were talking before the show where you're saying that a lot of critics are attacking him. Well, you know who else is attacking him? A lot of people who were attacking the other week's episode of South Park with PC Bro. Let's look at like the slasher movies. Unintentionally, they they got the trope of Final Girl, right? But the Final Girl was always the virgin, the one who didn't smoke, the one who didn't cheat, the one who didn't do drugs, depending on wh- whatever the minutia of the story was. But she was the puritanical one. The sluts and the women who were stepping out and the guys who were jerks all ended up getting killed. And then that trope gets repeated again and again and again to the point where it is it more of a, re- a reflection of society or is that just a repeated trope because it's a trope at that point? A lot of people have that mixed up with a lot of the uh, cheaper uh, knockoff slasher films because if you actually look at Friday the 13th Alice was not puritanical she she smoked weed she was uh, sleeping with the head counselor guy and uh, she survived to the end it's another good one like most of the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, lead chicks um, slumber party massacre they're all getting high and drinking and partying and they beat the killer at the end so I think it was something that was um, either lost in translation or the the producers of those ones with the the more puritanical plots were like, okay, yeah, we can use this as a, uh, you know, to ward off uh, premarital sex, which, which I always found uh, to be one of the most annoying parts in, in Jason X because they're, you know, making fun of uh, slutty characters. We love premarital sex and smoking dope. And, but yet every, almost every lead chick in the Friday the 13th films prior was a chick that smoked dope and, you know, was, having casual sex with either her dude guy, you know, or boyfriend or whatever. So I don't, I don't really know at what point it became that whole puritanical thing, but I know that there have been producers and uh, writers and directors and, and stuff that had this idea that that's what it should be. But I think people need to realize that a lot of the more well-known ones, the people who are like, Oh, the Friday, the 13th movies are just, you know, it's the prissy girl that survives to the end and all the stuff they said in Scream about how, you know, never having sex. It's like, that's an example of Halloween 1. When you look at, like, 70% of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and the, the, the other Halloween films and stuff, 
it couldn't be further from the from the puritanical thing, if you ask me. I just watched, well, the, the movie that I'm doing this week is uh, Neon Maniacs. And at the end of the movie, the lead girl, they're being chased in this school by all the neon maniacs. So what do they do? They lock themselves into a classroom and have sex. And, <laughs> and she ends up living to the end. So, you know, it wasn't a matter of her being a puritanical person or something. I I just thought it was hilarious that it's like, oh, my God, there are these these things that are going around. They're killing everybody. What should we do? Let's lock ourselves in a classroom and do it. It just really cracked me up. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the um, are there a lot of movies with a final girl? Yes. Is every horror movie, uh, you know, put together by having the structure of the bad girl ends up uh, dying and the good girl ends up living at the end? No, it just so happens that uh, there's a lot of them. I wonder uh, what would be the percentage. That's something I might look into. You know, what a how many uh, how many horror movies really do fall into the the formula that Scream said that they did. What about leaving horror aside? What about, I think science fiction actually speaks more to being a reflection of its time than anything else. Look at something like the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That is such a product of 50s era Red Scare that you can't ever watch that movie without thinking of that. Even if you weren't there. I wasn't alive in the 1950s. That reeks of Red Scare. And then you go to the remake slash kind of sequel in 1978, and it's all about urban decay, losing your personality, and about that whole sort of mealy mouth self-help nonsense of the 1970s. And then you go to the 1993 Abel Ferrara one, and you've got and you've got all about the militarization, how the military is literally in this case swallowing swallowing the civilian population around them the body snatcher movies are a perfect example each one being an exact replica of the era when it was made i think that um the 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 70s one is is my personal favorite of the bunch it's one of the best movies it's it's something that uh like people who are thinking about remaking movies they really need to go back and watch that one and see how it's done it's like okay they took the concept of the one uh the original but they made their own movie and they made an incredible movie because they had really good effects they had a great cast they put a lot of emphasis into it it wasn't just hey this was popular let's make this movie again yeah they all they all kind of had their own more so the uh the first three uh, the 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 one that came out a few years ago with uh, Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman was just a, a shameless remake where it was like they they didn't have any ideas of their own. It was just like, all right, well, let's just do what they did before, only with a bigger budget and lots of CGI. But, but to be fair, in keeping with tonight's topic, as bad as Invasion was, it did reflect 2005. It was mm-hmm. much more technology based than all of the others. It was more of a scientific, although stupid pseudoscience, but a, you know, a, a, a pseudoscientific look at the the whole phenomena. So, and it also reflected that post 9/11, that post 9/11 malaise of the government is right, although in that case they weren't. That that one still falls in line of being a product of 2005. 
I think it's really cool um, that each one has that um, element of which generation it's from. And I think uh, both the the 1970s one and the 90s Abel Ferrara one, they're, they're both um, solid. Each each are solid depictions of the uh, original. Um, I think they, they all do a really great job. Uh, though the one thing I, that I would have liked is if uh, Leonard Nimoy had a goatee. But I mean, you you also have movies that that owe to that that owe to either the optimism or pessimism of a time. Look at Metropolis, 1926. You've got the buildup of World War One coming. You've you've got the fear of technology, and it's kind of funny to think of the 1920s as people being afraid of technology, but they were. You read scientific journals at the time. And they were afraid of technology. They thought hell and some of the stuff in Metropolis really was kind of our future. And at the same way, mm. look at the 1980s, cyberpunk. Cyberpunk was yeah. all about the early internet and all of and computers becoming so integrated in, into our society, which they were at the time. You, you can't look at anything, even modern cyberpunk owes itself to the 1980s. In a way, that one kind yeah. of betrays the whole era thing because even 2000 cyberpunk really rings of the 1980s. Well, I, what I find interesting about a lot of those movies, and it's kind of the opposite, because they don't reflect its current culture so much, but they end up maybe possibly inadvertently predicting things. RoboCop absolutely predicted a giant fall in the economy uh, corporations taking over. Uh, Terminator predicted the you know, the boom in the internet that this thing would be integrated into to everything, hooked into everything, running everything. Have the the technology that the government was using for NORAD on on your little phone. So it's kind of cool that uh, 80s sci-fi was not so much a reflection. I mean, obviously, Terminator is a very 80s movie. Blade Runner is very 80s. RoboCop has definitely that tinge of 80s with. The, the synthy twinkles and the in the score uh, and the neon lighting and whatnot. But it ended up being more of a reflection of culture now uh, than it was back then, because a, a lot of kind of what it, what the movies would say would happen ended up actually happening. So I think it's a it's a nice it's, it's an interesting reversal. Well, but then but then you also have like, you know, the stuff of the 1980s, when you get to like the Cold War stuff. That mm. is such a product of the 1980s. It becomes almost laughable. Like Top Gun. <laughs> I, I'm not going to go into the whole oh it's all gay blah blah. I'm talking about the <laughs> I'm talking about the jingoistic, super patriotic Cold War nature of a movie like that. That could mm -hmm. only have come out of the 1980s zeitgeist, couldn't it have? The same yeah. way that the X Files could only have come out of the early 90s distrust of the government and the burgeoning technology of the internet and conspiracy theories being taken more seriously, you have to tap into the zeitgeist of the era. Yeah, that's why I'm a little kind of iffy on the uh, the return of the X-Files. Like, as much as I want to see it, I, it's not going to have as much impact as it did back then. It's going to be more of a nostalgia trip. It's going to be, oh, I remember this, this is awesome, because they've already said that they're kind of doing sequels to some more famous episodes. Uh, I think that uh, the majority of that stuff is really just kind of captured in time. Like, it's not going to feel the same. It's not going to make as much sense because things are different now. Uh, like you said, with the 
government conspiracies, the fear of the government. Now it's like when you come out, you know, everybody's got a conspiracy about everything. Whereas back <laughs> then it was a little bit more of a finite thing. And you had a lot of people that really believed in certain aspects of uh, conspiracies. And they would uh, go on the early versions of the Internet and they would go into uh, little AOL chat rooms and talk about it. And, shit. and uh, it was it was cool. But now it's like it's it's just not going to have as much of an impact. The, the harp machine is uh, controlling the, the weather with mind control. <laughs> Thermite like a... paint, a Navy <laughs> seal. <laughs> but you also have, coming out of things like the Cold War and things like that, you also have how they captured an era as much as they were reflecting it. Like, nowadays, something as, jingo, as overtly jingoistic as Top Gun or Spies Like Us comes across... You look at Rambo First Blood Part 2, and it, we all make fun of it now, especially Rambo 3. At the time, people were like, yeah, Sly is telling it like it really is. And I think that's the same way <laughs> That's the same way you see all the modern movies like Zero Dark Thirty and all that, that people are going like, you know, in, in 10, 15 years, they're going to look at that and go, God, this was – this was this was borderline propagandist. <laughs> That's the same way something like Top Gun was in the 1980s. There was a very genuine, very real fear that we could get into a a, a nuclear exchange with Russia at any time. Mm -hmm. A movie like a movie like Miracle Mile could only have been made then, but at the same time has an odd relevance today, doesn't it? Oh, Miracle Mile is amazing. Miracle Mile is still good. Because, I just watched it for the first time recently, and it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's such a, a, a well-done movie because you really don't know what's going to happen. You, know, is, you is, the viewer don't know more than these characters on the street do. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a, one of those movies where uh, I remember being in the video store and, and seeing the cover and then watching it and being like, uh, why why don't people know about this movie? This movie is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely fits in. Kind of like War Games, too, where a movie yeah. like War Games wouldn't really go... I know they're trying desperately to remake it because they could do the whole... They made that, uh, that god-awful sequel about terrorism on the end of a few years. Yeah, the, 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 what was the it? The, something, the Dead Code. <laughs> oh, that thing was so bad. I, I could see them trying to do something now. And it's just like it was more interesting back then because people didn't really know about uh, the Internet. So, you know, seeing this kid get on this government thing, it was like, holy crap. You know, this, this really intelligent kid could get onto uh, a government thing. And now if they did it, it would be like, yeah, that's probably could happen. Like, <laughs> it just it just wouldn't have the same impact that it did back then. Also, the fact that well, when it comes to the atomic movies, and I mean the atomic scare movies like Miracle Mile, because that's really what that was. That that yeah. was a super liberal viewpoint of if we don't disarm, this is what could happen. Mm -hmm. Those those things also tended to fail at the box office also because of the time that they came out. People were already seeing all of this stuff on the news. They didn't want to go see it at the movies, too. That also speaks to the era and the zeitgeist of when a movie is made, doesn't it? Yeah, but it does, absolutely. I mean, you can movies like Miracle Mile, movies like uh, like War Games were a reflection on that Cold War fear of people genuinely worried about, you know, bombs dropping. So you can you can see the the cultural relevance 
And you can see um, that it's not something that would be quite uh, not nearly as prevalent as today. But back then, like that was that was an everyday fear for people. And it totally makes sense. I, I know since I lived through this era when I was 10 years old and Dreamscape came out, that's the, the president's nightmare in that. I had nightmares over that, not just because it's an incredibly creepy sequence, but because if you were alive in 1985, holy shit, that <laughs> That really hit you. That hit me kind of like um, uh, the day after tomorrow did. Where no, not the day after tomorrow. The day after the, the day after tomorrow. That was a terrible movie. No, 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 no. Just the, I'm sorry, I mixed it up. The day after. That was the the nuclear scare movie with uh, Jason Robards. That, that where, was a where TV like, movie, no less. It was a TV movie, no less. But when when the bombs dropped and they showed people like evaporating. Uh, terrifying for a freaking kid. <laughs> but see, yeah. When it comes to the day after, that was supposed to be so terrifying. They even had a special after that aired. Right after it was a special called Counterpoint where Ted Koppel and some of the biggest minds in America debated whether this movie is accurate or not. And they all said it's not accurate. Why? It's too optimistic of what would happen in a nuclear exchange. <laughs> That actually is more chill. The news segment after is more chilling than the movie, which is fucking (laughs) frightening. If you watch this when it first aired, and I've got this on tape, there are no commercials after the bombs drop. Not a single advertiser wanted to buy airtime on this movie after the bombs drop. So so this whole TV movie was front-loaded with commercials. That also says something about the era it came out, doesn't it? Big time. Yeah. So lots of uh, definitely lots of propaganda and whatnot. Is there a difference between a propaganda film and a scare film, though? The day after is meant to scare you, whereas Top Gun is meant to make you go rah rah, fuck yeah, America. Uh, there's definitely a difference. Um, I think a a scare film, I think, is a little more honest because it's it's really show it's at least it's trying to in some way. Uh, show you the the consequences of uh, a culture going the wrong way and then the threats of war and whereas you've got propaganda films where um I mean Rambo 2 is very propaganda riddled but I think it it did try to have heart and a message and and this uh, and it did um have the balls to kind of uh, call out the uh, government for for lying about that are missing and, and things like that so that was kind of cool about that one even though it still was very much rah rah you know you know barrel-chested Stallone mowing down uh, Viet Cong and Russians Rambo you not expendable <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like when you get invited to a party and don't show up it, it doesn't really matter <laughs> I always liked when. I always liked when he took the gr- when the the one girl died and he took her necklace and he tied like it was loose around her neck and he ties it around it and it just barely fits around that tree trunk of a neck of his. We'll end the night talking about Vietnam. Now you have movies like that, which is arguably a Nam movie, but then you you know you have Platoon and whatnot. There's a weird thing since I was alive in the post-Vietnam era and Vietnam being the war nobody wanted where the soldiers were spit on they didn't have jobs coming back you know they had no health care they had no mental care it's not like today you got to remember it took almost five years after vietnam ended before the first vietnam movie mm-hmm. whereas look at like world war ii they were making world war ii movies right after world war ii gulf war making gulf war movies right after yeah. iraq war Iraq War movies right after. But Nam 
There's still wanted Iraq to, War. <laughs> nobody wanted to touch a Vietnam movie because of the culture in America at the time. America almost collectively wanted to forget Vietnam happened. Yeah. Like it was a bad mistake. We want to put it behind us and move forward. And movies yeah. again reflected that. The fact that there were no Nam movies for about five years really says something. And then the first ones that did come out were exploitation films like The Exterminator. You didn't get Platoon in that for like a good decade. It was the exploitation yeah. movies that said, we really need to have this Vietnam conversation. We can't put it off any longer. It's interesting because now, uh, whenever anything happens, it's like uh, producers are tripping over their own dicks to try to get uh, the the movie version out. I'm sure that uh, whenever there's some national or worldwide event, there's always somebody who's like making phone calls while it's happening. You know, we, we need to make this happen. We need to, you know, we, and uh, it, it just seems that we don't have that respect or uh, that time really to kind of get get beyond something where they're just in such a hurry to be like, you know, we have to have this movie out. A lot of them, I don't remember people clamoring for certain types of movies. What are your final thoughts on on how movies reflect society? And the, society, and the time that they come out, at the same time, society reflects the movies. Well, I think the, the best example that I can come up with, uh, just and we were talking about it just a few minutes ago, was the whole uh, Vietnam War thing. Vietnam War movies that uh, ended up taking so long to come out. Uh, and then you compare you know, the World War II movies that came out almost right away, uh, the Gulf War movies that came out right away the, the the war in the middle east movies that are that are still coming out like movies like like american sniper and everybody's got to tell the story of the heroic uh, chris kyle and and all this shit. and it's because of uh, you know 911 happening so now uh, you know everybody hates those guys so you got to go out and, and be be a total patriot and, and kick the hodgies asses or whatever whereas with vietnam it was a, it was an unpopular war america wasn't wasn't proud of it and that's why and we lost uh, and we lost and you lost so it's like uh it was more uh, exploitation directors that had the balls to do it first uh movies like rolling thunder movies like exterminator uh first blood in a way almost has that like it doesn't feel like a hollywood film uh it's very anti-law it's very anti-establishment um and those are a lot of the kinds of vietnam movies that came out look at look at apocalypse now full metal jacket uh, uh, platoon they're not your typical kind of war movie. They look at it from both sides. Uh, they look at it from uh, Vietnam's perspective as well as America's perspective, uh, the effect that it had on the soldiers from both sides. And, and I think that's that's the big difference is the fact that it wasn't – in that time, in, in that cultural period, nobody was ha happy with Vietnam. The soldiers were being spit on. So the movies that came out were very rebellious, uh, Vietnam veteran uh, vigilante movies and, and stuff like that. And those were very cool and very different. And they, they added, uh, they shook things up a bit, which I think was great. And people standing up for these soldiers that were spit on. Whereas you have the popular uh, war movies, you have Patton, you have all these, uh, you know, American Sniper being the, the biggest example of just full on bullshit propaganda. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's the difference. It's whatever is, uh, whatever is super popular, that's going to be given like the big uh, heroic credit. 
entertainment medium has always been kind of a mirror. It's showing us back, uh, the, you know, warts and all uh, what's going on in the world. Now, sometimes they'll glorify things that don't need to be glorified. Sometimes they'll showcase the ugly uh, underbelly of stuff that uh, people would rather not talk about. But uh, there's always going to be some element of what's going on in the world, you know, reflected back at us. So uh, I think that it's interesting when you get uh, people that have the guts to go out there and do the unpopular thing, you know, to show, uh, all right, well, here's, you know, Vietnam vets that, you know, they're not all coming back right. Uh, here's, uh, you know, mentally unstable people that uh, are, you know, not saying the Vietnam vet, but moving to another thing. Uh, like with with Reagan in the 80s, where he let uh, a lot of people out of the uh, insane asylums. And so you had a lot of crazy people walking around the streets. So there was a lot of movies about just insane people going around murdering people because, well, there were a lot of crazy people around this around uh, the late 80s. And uh, I think that it's it's interesting when we look at that, because you go back and you look at entertainment and it is a reflection of what's going on. Now, granted, not so much exactly like you have science fiction that, of course, you know, we're not flying out into, you know, other planets and all this stuff. Well, we're going to Mars now, but I'm talking like going out of our solar system. But maybe there's aspects in there like with. Are you trying to argue that supernova is not a reflection of the late 90s? Society has always reflected film the same as film has always reflected society. Now, you're always going to get a twisted reflection because there are multiple sides to any societal issue. So th that's why you can have a pro-war movie come out at the same time as an anti-war movie all about the same war. So society is absolutely reflected in the movies. The movies would not be able to work if they were not also reflecting the society that they were made in. So you have to look at that on a deeper level, like a slasher movie from the 80s isn't just a slasher movie. It's a response to Reagan and the conservatives taking over the country. You can't deny that. It might not be an overt reaction, but you can see it. Peter, where can people find you reflecting neither film nor society? <laughs> um, you can find, uh, find me, hopefully, reflecting film and society or something in the uh, form of a new video hopefully soon um on youtube uh, the cinemasochist uh, cinematica uh on twitter at cinematica um facebook the cinemasochist and uh, on on 1201beyond.com uh, as well cecil where can people find you being wrong about film constantly uh, you won't find me because I'm a Navy SEAL, a fighter. And I a was... fighter. <laughs> you can find me over at escapistmagazine.com, goodbadflicks.com, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, as all the usual stuff that I always trail off at at the end. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com, where I will end up reflecting neither society nor film, or maybe both. Because you've seen things that'll blow our minds.
1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.